again. I don't know if you remember back to your reading and writing class in school, but chances are in your reading and writing class at some stage, you got taught how to write an introduction. An introduction is like the beginning of an essay or a piece of writing. And just like your English teacher or your teacher would have told you, the purpose of an introduction is twofold. Firstly, it's to grab the attention of your reader. You want something that's interesting so that people are going to listen to you. And the second point of an introduction is it is meant to signpost the main ideas that are going to take place in your essay. Think of your introduction like a road sign. It's saying this is the direction that you're going. This is the direction that the piece of writing is going. This is the outcome that you're heading towards in this essay. And this is important for us to know this morning because the Bible contains a bunch of things called introductions. And I want to take you to one of the most famous introductions. In fact, I believe it's the best introduction almost ever written. It takes place in John chapter 1. It's an incredibly famous portion of Scripture, and Don actually utilized it on Christmas Day. I encourage you to listen to that message. But this is what John says. He says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light has shone in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. God bless the reading of His Word this morning. That's a pretty good introduction, hey. And in this introduction, John is doing all the things that a good essayist should do. Firstly, he's grabbing our attention. And the way he's grabbing our attention is by deliberately echoing the Genesis 1 account of the creation of the world. He's taking us back to the beginning. He's taking us back to Genesis 1. And the other thing that he's doing is he's seeding in these verses all his key themes, all his key ideas that he is then going to go away and outwork in the rest of his gospel. It's important to note that these four verses aren't the entirety of the introduction. In the introduction, he sees all his big ideas. But in this one, this is our text this morning, there are two key ideas that I want to zoom in on. The ideas of light and life. If you're going to read John's gospel, you need to understand that light and life are incredibly important themes to John. I talked about light a couple of weeks ago when I talked about the Samaritan woman. And I talked about how Nicodemus saw Jesus at midnight in the darkness and the Samaritan woman saw him at noon in the full light of day. She was the one who confessed that he was the Messiah and went into all the Samaria spreading the good news of who he was. Light and darkness are very important to John, but so is the concept of life. John mentions life 36 times in his gospel. If you pick or put all the other gospel authors together, they mention life half as much. He's talking about life double the amount of times that all the other gospel writers write it. Even Paul's epistles, if you totaled all the time the apostle used the word uh, life in all of his letters, it would only come to 37 times. And so life is important for the apostle John. And like every good thing, if we're going to talk about these key ideas of life and light, we need to take time to define what John means when he uses those terms. 
I've noticed that in life, most disagreements happen when you have a failure to define what you're actually talking about. In life and in marriage, many disagreements happen when what is being said is different from what is being heard. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching better than you're responding this morning. And I know this is true in my life because I remember the first time I ever went to like an international flight, you need to understand I am a follower of the rules. I love rules and I love following them. And I went through customs and I wanted to do everything exactly right. I heard that New Zealand is really, really strict on what they let back into the country. And so I was so nervous. I saw the beagles coming. I was like, oh my gosh, they might find something, you know. I was terrified about getting it wrong as I went through customs. And so I went up to the customs officer and I just wanted to check. I wanted to be very sure that I was doing things correctly. And so I said to the customs officer, do I need to declare mints? And I meant breath mints. And they heard beef mints. Which clearly I would have needed to declare. And so what I don't want to happen this morning when we're talking about the concepts of light and life is that we have a mints and mints situation when what I'm saying is different than what you're hearing. And so let's take a moment to define what does John mean when he uses these terms life and when he uses the term light. Let's start with life today. When John is talking about the concept of life, firstly, it's important to say he's not just talking about bare, simple, physical life. He's not just talking about the breath in your lungs, the type of life that every human being possesses just by nature of being alive. He's not saying that Jesus only came to give you physical life. He's talking about more than that. He's saying that Jesus didn't just come to give you breath in your lungs, even though he did give you that. He also came to give you spiritual life to give you freedom from sin, from hell, from fear, from shame, from all of these things that would corrupt and crowd your soul. He came to give you life. But he also came to give you eternal life. He created us to go from glory to glory for the water of life to flow through us until it wells up unto eternal life. You weren't just created this morning to have breath in your lungs. You weren't just created for bare physical existence. You were created for life, the type of life that only God can give. It says this, it says that in him was life. It's an important theological statement. See, God is this thing in theology that we call self-existent. And what that means is that the type of life that God has is different from the type of life we have. God is life all by himself. He's not dependent or reliant on anything outside of himself to get his life. He has independent, unreliant life all by himself. In him was life. God is self-existent. And that's important for you and I because what that tells us is that God didn't create to satisfy a deficiency in his own life. Hear me, God didn't create you because he was lonely. God didn't create you because you needed he needed someone to talk to. God didn't create you because he had a self-confidence problem and needed creatures to give him worship so he could feel good about himself. No, in him was life. And this is of crucial importance to you and me because it changes the motive of his creation. See, if God wasn't self-existent, he created to fill a lack, that would be one thing. 
But God had life all in himself. And so he created as an overflow. That was much better than you amend. God created as an overflow. In fact, some theologians put it like this. God didn't create because of an absence. He created because of an abundance. He overflowed and created you and me. Think about this for a second. You and I are the product of an overflow of life. You know, when I go to a restaurant and I eat something like really, really good, like really good, I'm the sort of person who goes, that's so good, you need to try it. Because things that are really, really, really good demand that they be shared with someone else. This life that you and I share is the good thing that was that good, that full, that rich, that abundant, that God had to share it with another. And he chose to share it with us. Hallelujah. That's the type of life that John is talking about when he says that in him was life and the life was the light of all mankind. More than that, it's the life you were created for. Friend, if you're in this place and you are settling for just physical life, you're settling for just breath in your lungs, you are settling for too little because you were created for life that overflows with peace and joy and fulfillment and contentment. You're the overflow of God's own life. Why would you settle for less? In fact, actually, John 10, 10, God, Jesus puts it like this. It says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Have it abundantly. Don't settle for anything less than the type of life that Jesus died to give you. That's the type of life that the apostle John is talking about. But John doesn't stop there. He says that in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. Let me break that down for a second. In Jesus was life and that life provided the light for all mankind. What does light do? If you turn a light on in a dark room, it illuminates the room, doesn't it? It enables you to see. Have you noticed that where there is no light, there's no sight? We all know this when we get up in the middle of the night. If it's pitch black, you can open your eyes as wide as you like. You can peer, you can squint, you can tilt your head. But listen, no matter how hard you try, if there's no light, there's no sight. Maybe that's what the psalmist meant when he said, by his light, we see light. Psalm 36, verse 9. Friend, this is a thought for anyone who's lacking vision or clarity or understanding in this place. Friend, if you're locked in a place of confusion, you need to remember that it is Jesus who provides the light that enables your sight. It is Jesus that gives the light to bring you out of that place of deception, confusion, lack of vision, Friend, if you're trapped in that place this morning, remember, Jesus is the light that enables your sight. I want to remind you today that Jesus called himself the light of the world. And as equally as bare physical life is not the portion of a believer, neither is confusion, misunderstanding, and lack of vision. Friend, if you're in this place and you're trapped in darkness, oh, I can see this point's hitting. Didn't like the confusion point as much, did we? 
go back to the life point. Friends, if you're in this place and you're locked in confusion and misunderstanding, you're not going to think yourself into a place of truth. You need Jesus to come in and illuminate your darkness. If there is a place in your life where you are suffering with confusion, misunderstanding, and lack of vision, you need to invite the light of the world in there. Because it's only by His light that you'll see light. Friend, you're created for vision. You're created to see, but it's only by His light. His light has shone in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's where I want to land today. This idea of the light shining in the darkness and the darkness not being able to overcome it. Let me give you some context. It's very interesting that uh, John, the apostle, wrote this particular verse. John is writing at about 20 years. His gospel is dated about 20 years after the first three gospels, Mark, Matthew, and Luke. And that explains in, many, uh, in a lot of ways why John's gospel is so different from those first three. We call them the synoptic gospels because he's writing to a different context. And many historians, theologians, they believe that John was centered a lot of his life around a place called Ephesus. Ephesus was the place where Timothy was pastoring. And if you read those Paul's letters to Timothy, you'll see that there's a lot in there about false teaching, okay? They're really battling false belief false teaching, and heresy. And Ephesus in particular became a hotbed for a type of heresy called Gnosticism. Now listen, you don't need to remember any of these terms because I'll get to a conclusion and you'll go, ah, okay, but I'm just going to take you step by step. A place called, uh, a heresy called Gnosticism, and Gnosticism had within it a belief called dualism. Again, you don't need to remember this. But the idea of dualism is that light and dark, good and evil, are two opposing forces. And the idea that it gives is that it's the, the battle between equals. That light and darkness is the battle between two fiercely opposed equals. And to that audience, John says that the light has shone in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And that's true in life, isn't it? In the battle between light and darkness, darkness never wins. Darkness never has the power to put out light. And light always has the power to dispel darkness. If you light a candle in a room, what will happen? Immediately, light will dispel darkness. And friend, the darkness, no matter how hard it tries, no matter how much it musters up, no matter how dark it feels like it can try and get, the darkness can never snuff out the light. Light always displaces the darkness and darkness never has the power to snuff out the light. This is not a battle of equals. This is not a battle of two strongly opposed equals. No, darkness never wins. Light always dispels darkness. And the reason I wanted to say this to you all today is because I think that this is one of the areas that our confessed theology, what we say we believe, is different from our lived theology, how we live what we believe. See, when I preach that light always overcomes darkness, that's real easy to amen. Everyone would say, yes, that's what I believe, but then we go away and live like the battle could go either way. We 
dispel darkness. Darkness never has the power to snuff out the life. In fact, I wonder if this is what Paul meant when he said this, for you were once in darkness, but now, but now, come on somebody, but now you are light in the Lord. And so he says this, live like it. Live like you're a child of the light. Don't live like you're subject to darkness. Come on, child of God. Don't live like you're subject to darkness. Live as a child of the light. And so in 2023, you're going to be like, good Lord, when is Haley going to stop yelling at us? My gosh. And the answer is soon, very soon. But I do need to get to some points first. Is that okay? I'll do them real quick, and then you won't even know that all the yelling happened, all right? I want to ask the question, how do we live as children of the light? And I want to do so by talking about what that that picture of light means in the Bible. And firstly, light is a picture of truth. And living as a child of the light means knowing that truth overcomes deception every time. Truth overcomes deception every single time. See, light brings revelation of truth. Light reveals Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. Throughout Scripture, we see an association with light and the revelation of truth. And in this passage, light is a symbol of truth and goodness, and darkness is a symbol of deception and evil. So the first thing that this passage tells us is very simple. Truth will overcome deception and falsehood every time. And in 2023, we need to know that because we live in a society saturated with deception. In fact, I've heard a pastor say that he believes the greatest battle of our time is the battle for truth. We live in a society saturated by deception. And so it's important for us to hold on to the fact that if light has shone in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it, it means that truth overcomes deception every single time. But you need to know it for you, friend. Because so many of us, the reason we don't embody who we are in Christ is because we abide in lies and deception as opposed to abiding in the truth. We allow the narrative of our lives to be shaped by deception and lies. I'm not worthy. I'm alone. I'm not enough. Friend, you need to understand that in your life, if you are a child of God, the truth is more powerful than the deception. The truth is more powerful than the deception. And the deception might seem big and scary and intimidating, but the light has shone in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Truth overcomes deception every single time. Secondly, good overcomes evil every time. Remember I said earlier that in this passage, light is a picture of goodness and uh, truth and uh, darkness is a picture of evil and falsehood. And so what I mean by this is that moral good overcomes moral evil. Good character, good actions overcomes evil character and evil actions. And likewise, we need to know this in 2023 in our world because none of us watch the news anymore for good news. We see catalog and thing after thing about evil. And we need to remember as people of, the Lord, of God that the light has shone in the darkness and the darkness We know the end of the story. It's written in Revelation. Jesus wins. Good wins. Light wins. And we need to orientate ourselves to the world that way. But also, you need to know it personally. Because when your flesh rises up against you, you need to understand that the light in your life shines brighter than the darkness. 
Friend, you are not beneath or subject to your passions or worldly impulses. Come on, somebody. The light, good in your world, is the stronger force. Light has shone in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The last thing that this means is that Jesus triumphs over the enemy every single time. Ephesians 6 shows us that darkness is a picture of the enemy in the hordes of hell. That's your reference if you want to go and check it out. And this passage shows us that there is never a time, friend, hear me today, there is never a time, no matter how much obstacle, opposition, no matter how strong the storm is raging around you, no matter how chaotic it might seem, there has never been, never will be a time when the enemy overcomes the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's never a time. It'll never happen. Why? Because the light has shone in the darkness and the darkness hasn't overcome it. And the band can join me. And I, I want to give you something practical. Uh, you know, there's, there's one thing I do, I do want to say. You know, I was, and you can take this with a grain of salt because it is just an illustration. But I was thinking to myself, man, if that picture of light shining in the darkness, like a, light, a, a lighted candle shining in the darkness, you know, if the darkness can, can't put it out, then how does a believer go from living in the light to living in the dark? And the only way for the believer to get out of there is to walk away, Right? And the thing that I've observed about walking away is that it never happens in a leap. It always happens step by step. No one ever leaves the light like that. They leave the light one step at a time. And so, friend, I'm going to ask you in 2023, stay in the light. Please stay in the light. Stay connected to other children of the light. Never stop reading your Bible or listening to it, whatever works for you. Don't stop praying. Don't drop out of the fellowship because the way you get out of the light is one step at a time. It's one step at a time. And so keep doing the things you need to do to stay in the light because the light has shone in the darkness and the darkness hasn't overcome it. Let me finish this message today by bringing us back to the beginning. And just that thought that John wrote these verses as an introduction And remember I said that what an introduction does is it signposts the rest of the book. It signposts the way ahead. And friend, this is what these verses are doing. They're signposting the way ahead. This is what John's saying. He's saying, look, you're about to read a story in which darkness is going to try and rise up and battle the light. You're about to read a story where deception is going to try and displace the truth that Jesus brings where evil is going to try and displace the good that Jesus brings. And ultimately, we're reading a story when the devil is going to try and kill the life that Jesus brings. And it's going to try its best. The darkness is going to throw everything against the Son of God, this Jesus that it can. But remember, John witnessed the end of the story. He witnessed the fact that not even the deepest darkness of death could put out the light of the world. And I'm praying that like these verses functioned as the introduction of John's gospel, that they will function as the beginning of your 2023. Friend, in 2023, you might do some battling. Darkness might rise up in hostility to the light that is shining in you 
and the light that is shining through you. But no matter how much battling there is, it can never stop the light prevailing. So let me speak this over you at the beginning of 2023. In 2023, truth will overcome deception in your life every single time. In 2023, good will always overcome evil. And in 2023, Jesus will always overcome the devil because in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And the life was the light of all mankind. And the light has shone and is still shining in the darkness. And the darkness shall not and will not overcome it to the glory of God. Right now, in the name of Jesus, we bring ourselves before the Father of heavenly lights. We bring ourselves before the preeminent Son of God. We bring ourselves before the Lamb of God and the Lion of Judah. And we believe that in the name of Jesus, no force of darkness can prevail against the light that is shone and is still shining to the glory of God the Father. And everyone said, Amen and Amen.